Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emagwale. The toughest problem in modern algebra was to discover how to parallel process and how to solve the largest system of equations and how to solve them across the central processing units of the precursor of the modern supercomputer. Parallel processing was, in part, my mathematical quest for how I can cross the new frontier of large-scale algebra and cross that frontier to conquer today's mathematical challenges and solve unsolved problems in large-scale algebra. In 1989, it made the news headlines that a lone wolf African supercomputer wizard in the United States has discovered how to solve the largest system of equations in modern algebra and solve those systems by parallel processing them or solving many equations at once and solving them across an internet that is a global network of 65,536 central processing units. I, Philip Emma Aguale, is that African supercomputer scientist and the computational mathematician that was in the news in 1989 and in the news for inventing how to solve the larger system of equations of modern algebra and for his contributions to modern algebra. In the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the textbooks on the mathematical physics of fluids flowing across a porous medium classified the governing system of coupled nonlinear and time-dependent partial differential equations as parabolic and from which arose a system of equations of algebra that was tridiagonal and that was needed by computational physicists. In the 1980s, I changed the way we look at the calculus and the algebra of the mathematics of oil and gas recovery. The mathematical, that mathematical discovery was the cover story of top mathematics publications such as the May 1990 issue of Siam News that was the flagship publication of the Society of Industrial and Applied Mathematics. I paradigm shifted from parabolic to hyperbolic system of partial differential equations. And I paradigm shifted again from tridiagonal to diagonal system of equations of algebra. I invented the system of equations of algebra 
that can be used in recovering otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. In the old algebra, such systems were most often tridiagonal. Such tridiagonal systems are impossible to solve in parallel or impossible to solve by supercomputing 65,536 floating point arithmetical operations and computing them all at once. My mathematical quest was to discover how to solve the differential initial boundary value problem, not for how to solve the algebraic discrete problem that arose from the initial boundary value problem. My mathematical quest was not for how to solve the initial boundary value problem and solve it as an applied mathematician that solved it on his blackboard. My computational quest was for how to solve the never-before-solved larger-scaled problems in algebra and solve them as a modern computational mathematician that is sitting astride his global network of 64 binary thousand motherboards. I invented a system of nine partial differential equations of calculus and then invented some algebraic algorithms that I used to discretize them to yield a system of 24 million equations of algebra that are diagonal instead of tridiagonal. It's impossible for my new system of 24 million, equa 24 million diagonal equations of algebra and the old system of 24 million tridiagonal equations of algebra to be mathematically equivalent. The diagonal and the tridiagonal systems arose from different initial boundary value problems with the same boundary condition, the same initial condition, and the same mathematical and physical domains. However, they had different governing system of partial differential equations of calculus. The diagonal and the tridiagonal systems are equivalent in their physical essences and they are equivalent in the physical sense that both arose from a hyperbolic and a parabolic system of coupled nonlinear and time-dependent partial differential equations, respectively. Both systems of partial differential equations of calculus encoded the same set of laws of physics. My new diagonal and the old tridiagonal systems of equations of algebra approximated the same grand challenge problem of large-scale computational physics. My new diagonal and the old tridiagonal systems of equations of algebra are as different as identical twins that arose from the same egg and sperm and that have the same genetic materials. Just as identical twins are clones of each other, my new diagonal and the old tridiagonal systems of equations of algebra we are clones of each other. They are not algebraically equivalent 
but they arose from the same grand challenge problem in large-scale computational physics. Metaphorically speaking, they arose from the same egg and sperm. Scientifically speaking, they arose from the same set of laws of physics. My experimental discovery of parallel processing changed the way we solve the toughest problems in algebra. The cover stories of mathematics news journals that were read by research mathematicians celebrated my mathematical discovery. I discovered that large-scale problems in algebra that arose from calculus could be solved across an internet. I invented that internet as a global network of 64 binary thousand central processing units. It was a discovery that elucidated why the modern supercomputer must be powered by millions of central processing units. It's a discovery that opened the door to the modern supercomputer that is powered by more than 10 million central processing units. It's a discovery that is employed to recover oil and gas and to recover them from the oil fields of Nigeria to the oil fields of Angola. I used the largest system of equations of algebra that defined the toughest problems in computational physics and I used them as my backdrops or as my supercomputer test beds. My primary quest was to challenge the established truth. That truth was that the slowest central processing units cannot work together to solve the most computation-intensive problems in algebra or in large-scale computational physics. And most importantly, solve them at the fastest recorded supercomputer speeds. The recognitions I received from the supercomputing community in 1989 and thereafter was the first time such skepticism over parallel processing was overcome. In the 1970s and 80s, 25,000 supercomputer scientists tried to parallel process and to do so across processors and computers. They gave up. They described parallel processing as impossible. In a classic paper that was published in April 1967, the supercomputer designer Gene Amdahl formulated his famed Amdahl's law. Briefly, Amdahl's law predicted that parallel processing will forever remain a huge waste of everybody's time. Another supercomputer designer, Simo Cray, agreed with Gene Amdahl. The computer world was the then mouthpiece of the computer industry. A state-of-the-art survey in the June 14, 1976 issue of the computer world quoted <clears throat> the leaders of thought in the world of supercomputers as unanimously agreeing that parallel processing supercomputers will be too large and clumsy. The title of that computer world article summed up the skepticism in parallel processing. The pessimism was embedded into the title of that article. That article was titled, quote, 
research in parallel processing questioned as waste of time. My experimental discovery that parallel processing reduces 180 years of time to solution in large-scale algebra to only one day of time to solution made the news headlines because it was then considered impossible to do so. My experimental discovery of how to compute in parallel or compute many things at once was reported in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal. It took me 16 years to experimentally discover what makes the modern supercomputer fastest and to open the door to the largest scale algebra. Back in the 1980s, there were 25,000 computational mathematicians that also desired to know what makes the modern computer faster and makes the modern supercomputer fastest. The reason those 25,000 computational mathematicians of the 1980s gave up on massively parallel processing was because their supercomputer textbooks warned them that massively parallel processing is a huge waste of everybody's time because everybody ridiculed and rejected the idea of solving many problems at once. The technology was abandoned and I became the lone wolf full-time programmer of the most massively parallel processing supercomputer that was ever built. The difference between I and the other 25,000 is this. I experimentally discovered how to harness 65,536 CPUs. The term CPU is the Computer Geek, Geek's acronym for Central Processing Unit. In 1989, it made the news headlines that an African supercomputer wizard in the United States had experimentally discovered how to harness those CPUs and harness them to solve the toughest problems in computational mathematics. I, Philip Emaagwale, was that African supercomputer scientist. The reason those 25,000 computational mathematicians could not experimentally discover parallel processing was that they were merely reading about how it's impossible to use 65,536 CPUs to solve the toughest problems in computational mathematics. Those 25,000 had the opportunity that I had to solve the toughest problem in supercomputing. All they needed was the brain power. Each, each of those 25,000 knew that parallel that knew that the experimental discovery of parallel processing will be akin to discovering a gold mine then and now any supercomputer scientist with the brain to contribute to the development of the supercomputer will be the subject of school reports on the development of the modern computer. The inspiration that led to my experimental discovery of what makes computers fastest came from my mathematical investigations of error growths in large-scale algebra. Such error growths 
occur while executing the most the most computation-intensive set of floating-point operations of arithmetic. Such floating-point operations arose from finite difference approximations of algebra. Such finite difference approximations arose from the approximations of partial differential equations of calculus. My inspiration to compute at the fastest recorded speeds arose from arithmetic that arose from algebra that arose from calculus that arose from physics back in 1981 and in college park maryland i did extensive stability analysis I theoretically and experimentally investigated the propagation of numerical errors that arise when the algebraic computations advances from one time step of finite difference approximations to the next time step. From those stability analysis, I mathematically discovered that I will do less computations if I were to start from first principles or start from the second law of motion and to rederive the governing system of coupled, nonlinear, and time-dependent partial differential equations and include the temporal and the convective inertial forces that led to governing partial differential equations that are hyperbolic rather than parabolic. From those stability analysis, I mathematically discovered that I will do less computations if the discretizations or reduction from infinite to finite of the governing partial differential equations to partial difference equations we are explicit rather than implicit from those stability analysis i mathematically discovered how to bypass the constraint imposed by darcy's law on the execution time and on the perceived amdas law limit of maximum speed up of a factor of 8 that is how I addressed the vexing limit of Darcy's law that made my supercomputer computations less efficient. That is how I addressed the vexing limit of Anders' law on speedups across the central processing units of a supercomputer. From those stability analysis, I learned that my diagonal system of equations of algebra arose from conditionally stable, explicit finite difference algorithms, while my tridiagonal system of equations of algebra arose from unconditionally stable, implicit finite difference algorithms in practical terms of large-scale computing implicit methods allowed larger time steps which are more efficient but implicit methods only allow sequential calculations which are slower to compute i discovered that overall implicit methods that yields a system of tridiagonal equations of algebra yields longer times to a solution than explicit methods that yield a system of diagonal equations of algebra. I experimentally discovered that it's possible to solve the system of diagonal equations of algebra and solve them in parallel or by solving them simultaneously at 65,536 central processing units 
or to solve, to simultaneously solve the diagonal system and do so across my primordial internet. I invented that internet as my global network of 65,536 central processing units that were identical and equal distances are far and apart. As correctly explained in algebra textbooks, it's impossible to directly reformulate a system of tridiagonal equations and reformulate that system into an equivalent diagonal system. That was my motivation for reformulating both systems of diagonal and tridiagonal equations and reformulating them to solve the same problem in computational physics. In the 1970s and 80s, massively parallel processing was ridiculed as wonderfully useless. The reason I computed alone was because parallel processing was dismissed as a vacuous gimmick. The mantra in supercomputing back in the 1970s and 80s was, quote, do only one thing at a time, but do it as fast as possible, unquote. In a syndicated article that was distributed on September 2, 1985, and distributed to the print media, and distributed by the United Press International, or UPI, and in that syndicated article, John Rowe Wagin, the president of Cray Research Incorporated, that was the company that manufactured seven in ten supercomputers, described his company's use of 64 processors as, quote, more than we bargained for, unquote. My mathematical quest began as a lone wolf mathematician's abstract speculations in the pure logic of differential equations and in the computation intensiveness of large-scale algebra. My quest for the fastest supercomputer continued in the rigorous analysis of 65,536 computer codes for as many central processing units that outline and define my internet. I discovered how to make the impossible when solving the largest system of equations of algebra possible. I discovered how to solve the toughest problem in algebra and solve it across an internet that is a global network of 65,536 central processing units. I did the impossible by reformulating my system of tridiagonal equations that could not be solved in parallel and solving it as a system of diagonal equations that solves an equivalent problem that could be solved in parallel. I did not reformulate my system directly. I reformulated my system indirectly. The system uh, the systems of diagonal and tridiagonal equations each arose from the same petroleum reservoir model to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas only required that we used the laws of physics to simulate the petroleum reservoir it did not require that we solve a specific system of tridiagonal equations of algebra and solve it Per se. The polymath, that is a triple threat in physics, mathematics, and computing, 
focuses on solving the Grand Challenge problem as a holistic whole, while the mathematician is limited to only solving the algebra problem. That algebra problem was derived from the physics problem in the first place. I discovered a different path to simulating the petroleum reservoir and simulating it by returning to first principles, namely the set of laws of physics. I began from the top and from the second law of motion of physics to correctly rederive the governing system of nine coupled nonlinear and time dependent partial differential equations of calculus. My new governing system is hyperbolic and represents a new paradigm. The old governing system is parabolic and represented the old paradigm. My new governing system describes the three-dimensional motions of oil, water, and gas. It describes the motions through the oil field and along three spatial directions. I discretize those partial differential equations to yield a new system of 24 million diagonal equations instead of the old system of 24 million tridiagonal equations. And that is one of my contributions to how to solve the largest system of equations of algebra that arise from petroleum reservoir simulation and how to solve them across an internet that is a global network of equidistant central processing units. Since June 20, 1974, my mathematical quest was to experimentally discover how to solve the largest scale system of equations of algebra and solve it across an internet. I invented that internet as a global network of equidistant central processing units that were identical to each other. Since the late 1940s, the method of choice amongst computational mathematicians was the alternating direction implicit method. That implicit method was used to discretize parabolic partial differential equations. The alternating direction implicit method was widely used to formulate a set of systems of tridiagonal equations of large-scale algebra. In 1981, I discovered that it will be impossible to solve a system of tridiagonal equations of large-scale algebra and solve it in parallel or by doing many things at once. I discovered that it will be impossible to solve a system of tridiagonal equations of large-scale algebra and solve it by synchronously emailing equal subsets of that system and emailing them across my 1,048,576 bidirectional, regular, and short email wires that were equal distances afar and apart. I visualized those email wires as marrying my global network of 65,536 CPUs together as its long wolf programmer. I visualized those CPUs as married together as one cohesive unit that is not a supercomputer per se, but that is an internet 
de facto, I discovered that it will be impossible to evenly distribute equal subsets of my system of tri-diagonal equations and distribute them across each of my 65,536 central processing units. Because it's impossible to solve a system of tri-diagonal equations and solve it in parallel, I formulated an equivalent system of 24 million diagonal equations that approximates a more accurate system of nine new partial differential equations that I invented and that solves the same petroleum reservoir model or the same initial boundary value problem that had different governing partial differential equations that differently encoded the same laws of physics that was at the physics core of the petroleum reservoir simulator. My invention of a system of parabolic, pa parabolic partial differential equations and inventing that system to a more accurate system of hyperbolic partial differential equations and my formulation of a system of tri-diagonal equations and formulating that system to a system of diagonal equations where mathematical inventions that change the way we do large-scale algebra that occurs when simulating the flow of oil and gas across an oil field. By making the news headlines in 1989, my invention inspired how to do large-scale computational physics and how to do it in parallel instead of in sequence. My invention opened the door to how to do computational mathematics and do it across central processing units. And in particular, do it when the system of equations of algebra had its non-zero entries only along its diagonal. In the old way, we solved the toughest problems of computational physics and solved them in sequence or by doing one thing at a time and doing that thing within only one isolated central processing unit that was not a member of an ensemble of processors that communicates and computes together and as one seamless cohesive supercomputer. In my new way, that was reported in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal and reported in top mathematics news journals, I experimentally discovered how to do 65,536 things at once and do them in parallel and do them across 65,536 central processing units. My contribution to the development of the modern computer is this. I put to rest the saying that parallel processing is a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. As a supercomputer scientist, the most important lesson that I learned was that you cannot become the highest 
supercomputer wizard without foremost applying sitting power or sitting the longest in front of supercomputers or sitting longer than any supercomputer scientist ever sat in front of supercomputers. Back in the 1980s, I was the lone wolf programmer of the precursor of the modern supercomputer. I applied the most sitting power into the modern supercomputer and I applied it more than any supercomputer scientist that ever lived. A friend who is a musician told me that a violinist must mostly practice, not mostly read her music. The violinist must go beyond only reading her music on her airplane flight to perform in Carnegie Hall of New York City. The violinist must apply her sitting power to get to Carnegie Hall. This important lesson of hard work, dedication, discipline, consistency, and practice applies to everything we do in life. You must play or think or dream soccer every day to play soccer in the world in the next World Cup. You must write every day to write the next best-selling novel. You must write at least a million words before you can call yourself a writer. I wrote a million words of supercomputer codes before the newspapers called Philip Emma Aguale, the African supercomputer wizard. I have been programming supercomputers since June 20, 1974. I began by programming a scalar processing supercomputer that was in the computer center at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. In the mid-1980s, I was the lone wolf programmer of the precursor to the modern supercomputer that can do many things at once. I was the lone wolf at the uncharted territory of massively parallel supercomputing that did 64 binary thousand things at once. Before I could program each of my 2 to power 16 central processing units, and before I could compose their email primitives, and before I could send my codes to and from those 64 binary thousand commodity off-the-shelf central processing units and send them across 16 times 2 to power 16 regular, short, and equidistant email wires. I spent 16 years honing, honing my craft and doing so by building up my programming muscles. I built up my intellectual muscles as I built up my physical muscles and all doing weight trainings in the late afternoons. I built up my programming muscles by coding in the mornings and coding supercomputers during the 16 years onward of June 20, 1974. On days I don't have access to a supercomputer, I wrote my supercomputer algorithms and code fragments and wrote them in my laboratory notebooks. Or I did theoretical stability analysis of finite difference approximations 
of partial differential equations that are akin to the ones that define the initial boundary value problems that I will be solving across my global network of 64 binary thousand central processing units that defined my internet. It was after four and a half decades as the lone wolf at the farthest frontier of supercomputing that I was called the father of the modern supercomputer that can do many things at once instead of doing only one thing at a time. The parallel processing supercomputer that is powered by 65,536 CPUs is to me what the violin is to the violinist. I have been practicing the craft of programming supercomputers since June 20, 1974. Therefore, describing Philip Emma Aguale as an overnight success is like describing a man born on June 20, 1974 as a little boy. A student writing a school report on my experimental discovery of massively parallel processing asked me, what course do I study to become a computer wizard like you? That's like asking what book to read to become a violin virtuoso. I replied, a passenger carrying her violin asked a New York City taxi driver, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 was the reply the New York City taxi driver gave the violinist. To become the greatest computer wizard, require that you make the greatest contribution to the development of the computer. And that greatest contribution is to experimentally discover a never-before-seen way of making computers faster and making supercomputers fastest and most importantly to experimentally do both by recording a never-before-seen supercomputer speed increase. That supercomputer speed increase must make the news headlines and must forever change the way we look at the modern supercomputer. I experimentally discovered how to program 65,000 536 central processing units. Each central processing unit was my motherboard that I used to solve a system of 366 equations of large-scale algebra that in totality then comprised of a world record 24 million equations of algebra. That system of 24 million equations was impossible to solve by a human computer and solved in a lifetime and impossible to solve on a blackboard. One reason my experimental discovery made the news headlines was that I solved the largest system of equations of algebra and I succeeded when 25,000 supercomputer scientists had given up on parallel processing supercomputing. In the 1980s, those 25,000 computational mathematicians ridiculed parallel processing and dismissed the technology as a huge waste of everybody's time. I did not 
merely solve a system of 366 equations of algebra and solve that system within one central processing unit. In totality, I solved a system of 24 million equations and solved that system across a global network of 65,536 central processing units. I had each unit solving a system of 366 equations of algebra. The CPUs were identical and equal distances are far and apart. Each algorithm I executed within each CPU described my step-by-step -step instructions to each central processing unit. I instructed each CPU on how to solve the system of 366 equations of algebra that I emailed to it. I had emailed a computational physics code with those 366 equations at its computation intensive kernel. I had emailed the computational physics code to a CPU that's uniquely identified by a 16-bit long number. That number is a unique string of 16 zeros and ones. That number had no at sign or dot com suffix. That number was the email address of each of my 2 to power 16 commodity off-the-shelf central processing units that were married together by 16 times 2 to power 16 regular and short bidirectional email wires that were equal distances afar and apart. I invented invincible bite-sized instructions for each central processing unit. I gave each central processing unit its step-by-step -step instructions or algorithms for solving a system of equations of algebra that I emailed to it that arose from a system of equations of calculus that arose from a set of laws of physics that arose from a lone wolf black mathematician's quest for new calculus and new algebra. The calculus book is where the white mathematician recognizes his ancestors such as Isaac Newton of England who lived three centuries and three decades ago, and Isaac Newton's contemporary, Gottfried Leibniz, who lived in Germany. As a black mathematician that contributed 36 partial derivative terms to Philip Emma Aguali's equations of calculus that was born in colonial Nigeria in the heart of British West Africa, I was never welcomed by white mathematicians and I was not welcomed to live in that mathematical space. For that reason, I worked entirely as a lone wolf research mathematician. In the 1970s and 80s, no supercomputer scientists believed that parallel processing across an internet that I envisioned and programmed as a global network of 65,536 central processing units would ever solve the toughest problems in computational physics as well as yield a speed up of 65,536. In the 1980s, there were 25,000 supercomputer scientists. But I could only name three black supercomputer scientists. Me, myself, and I. In the 1980s, 
I was often invited to give seminar lectures on my experimental discovery of parallel processing. Then I will be disinvited from giving those lectures after the seminar organizer discovered that I was black and African. For four decades onward of the first programmable computer of 1946, that was the world's fastest then, inventing a parallel processing supercomputer that's just as tough under the hood has proven, proven elusive to the supercomputer industry. In the history of technological progress, any paradigm shift in the way we look at the computer yields its experimental inventor both kudos and daggers. The leaders of thought in the world of computing, namely Gene Amdahl of Amdahl's Law fame, Seymour Cray of Vector Processing fame, and Steve Jobs of the world of personal computers, we are against the new paradigm of computing in parallel. Before I became famous from my experimental discovery of parallel processing, or before 1989, no supercomputer scientist would accept my telephone call. After 1989, I was amazed at their reactions when I walked into a room full of supercomputer scientists. Because the most massively parallel processing was a paradigm shift that will change the way we look at the fastest computers. And because massively parallel processing seemed impossible in the 1980s, nobody else will touch parallel processing with a 10-foot pole. The fear of parallel processing was the reason five scientific groups asked me to leave their research teams. Prior to my experimental discovery, the research groups that dismissed me believed that a supercomputer must do only one thing at a time instead of doing 65,536 things at once. I experimentally discovered parallel processing after I was dismissed from their research teams. My experimental discovery of parallel processing was impossible to discredit largely because it was based upon objective and quantifiable metrics. Everybody knew that a factor of 65,536 is higher than that of 8. My experimental discovery of parallel processing opened the door to the modern supercomputer of today that will become the computer of tomorrow. And since 1989, the number of supercomputers that computes in parallel has increased in geometric proportion. Parallel processing is not a magic cure-all. However, Parallel processing is embodied in most computers and in all supercomputers. Parallel processing that was once a dim light in a sea of darkness is now the bedrock of the modern supercomputer. Parallel processing once the stone that was rejected as rough and unsightly has become the headstone of the supercomputing industry. I was asked, how do you want to be remembered? 
I answered, discoverers and inventors are remembered longer for their discoveries and inventions than for their prizes and medals. The reason is that the discovery is an eternal truth, while the invention is a physical manifestation of technological heroism. I'm Philip M. Aguale. Let's keep our conversation alive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Insightful and brilliant lecture. I'm Philip M.